this sucks. Hello, and welcome to Play This, the podcast where two old friends talk about video games for way longer than is necessary. <laughs> I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. Daniel, uh, topical conversation. Did you watch March Madness last night? Oh, oh, good, good opening, buddy. I know good. you love when I talk about sports, but... <laughs> A number 16 beat seed beat a number one seed for the first time ever. I don't know the details of what that means, but that sounds like a bad team beat a better team. That's essentially what it means. Okay. But right. what I think you're going to like about this story is that the, the, the 16 seed, their logo is a golden retriever. They're called the Retrievers. Oh, that's cute. That's yeah, very cute. They're a bunch of good boys. Good basketball <laughs> boys. A lot of people have been making a lot of Air Bud references. Oh, man. That's excellent. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so, this is a podcast about video games where we talk about Air Bud as well. <laughs> you want to talk about some video game news? Uh, yeah, yes. That sounds great. Go ahead. Okay. So as we discussed last episode, we're, we're going to sort of cut down the amount of news that we talk about every episode and just pick one or two highlights that we really like. This time, one big thing happened that we're both interested in, and that's the most recent Nintendo Direct for March. Yeah. They they gave a lot of really solid news that covers game releases through summer, basically. And any and one piece in particular that really uh, excited you? Oh yeah, yes, they announced a new Smash Bros. game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's been mentioned before that I really love the Smash Bros. series, and actually, I think last time we talked. About Nintendo, we mentioned that they're launching their online service in September, and I think I pretty much said, I think they might do Smash Bros. this year to sort of incentivize right. people paying money for, for online. And I was right on that. They they announced a new Smash Bros. game with like a cute trailer that confirms that the Inklings are going to be playable. Yeah. And a 2018 release date. In fact, it looked like it was just a continuation of a Splatoon 2 trailer. Yes, yeah, they they were really sneaky and awesome about that. They ended, quote-unquote, the Direct with a bunch of Splatoon news, and then they said, oh, and one last thing. And then the trailer starts with the Inklings just, like, spraying ink at each other. I heard... I heard that a lot of people actually thought that it was just going to be more Splatoon stuff and turned the stream off because they didn't <laughs> care about Splatoon. And then, oh, that's what they get. And then it turned into a Smash trailer. <laughs> well, I think uh, what's most exciting about this news is uh, it, when we were talking about those predictions that you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. you thought that maybe it would just be kind of a direct port yeah. of the most recent Smash Brothers game for uh, for the Wii U. Yeah, I, I thought it'd be like a Smash 4.5 at best. Right. Like, you know, just sort of a Mario Kart 8 Deluxe treatment where it's a port of the first game, but with a couple like tweaks and additions, like maybe a few new playable characters or something. The way they treated this announcement makes me think it's going to be more of a completely new experience. Right. There wasn't a whole lot shown in the announcement. It was basically just the Inklings, and then you saw like some silhouettes of famous Smash characters. Yeah. Uh, but it, it definitely has the feel of a of a true new game. Yes. I'm sure it'll use a lot of the same assets, but like, hey, new Smash Brothers game. That's great. <laughs> yeah. 
no, I'm so excited about this that I'm starting another podcast. <laughs> oh, no, you bastard. <laughs> How I, dare you? I, t- I told you about this before we recorded. I know, but the uh, outrage was, it was a slow, slow simmer. Yeah, true. I, I could feel it, like, boiling, like, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, there's not too much else to say yeah, at this point otherwise, yeah. other than, hey, there's a new Smash Bros. game. It's going to have the Splatoon characters in it. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. What's your favorite Smash Brothers game so far? My favorite is actually four, probably. Yeah, really? Yeah. It's the best balance of a fighting game that feels like you can play it competitively that can still also be played casually as a party game. I think it caters really well to both audiences. I think Smash Melee focus a bit too much on the competitive, and Smash Brawl focus a bit too much on the party. Mm, and Smash and Smash Four is like this just right uh porridge that I <laughs> that I inhaled. Goldilocks uh, will also be in the new Smash Bros. <laughs> yeah, they're they're branching out. I'm sure Goldilocks is in a video game. She might count. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, Melee is and always will be my favorite Smash game. Nice. And I'm not a competitive Smash player. Right. But I just, I mean, yeah, that's it's the perfect Smash Brothers game to me. I, I The Ultimate Smashes like, don't bother me super much, but they do imbalance the game. Ah, uh, the final Smashes? Yeah. And yeah. I, so it's a change that I don't dislike. But it doesn't enhance the game for me. Well, that's understandable. I mean, you can turn Final Smashes off even in four. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. May, there are some design decisions in Brawl and Four that sort of add unnecessary elements to the experience. I guess you could argue. I think Melee had a really great roster, though. I do love Diddy Kong from Brawl and uh, Bowser Jr. from Four. Yeah, those are both great additions for me personally. Yeah, and the great thing about 4 is once all the DLC came out, the only things that it doesn't have from the Melee roster are Pichu, like, Pichu, because they brought... Well, this was a lot shorter than you thought it was yeah, going to be. Yeah, because Dr. Mario's in there, and they, they brought Mewtwo and Roy on as DLC, and those were like the, the glaring absences up until then. You know, I really played very little of 4, because like most of the world, I did not own a Wii U. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. and, and I didn't play it for 3DS, because I just I didn't love the experience from the demo. Um, and I, I think that's fair. I got it for the 3DS, and it broke my 3DS, actually. Really? Oh, no. the My thumb stick fell off, because, oh, because doing smashes just wrecked the uh, thumb stick. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really given 4 a fair shake, uh, Okay, but... It's hard for me to imagine a Smash game ever beating Melee. But, you know, everything on the Switch has been better than anyone thought it could be. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe I'll have a new favorite uh, Smash Brothers game at the end of this. Yeah. I'm I'm excited about Smash 5. I've got a good feeling about it. Well, you'll certainly hear Daniel talk more about Smash and his <laughs> other podcast he's doing behind my back. And I'm sure we'll talk about this podcast from time to time, too. So check back in to hear what we think about the game as, as we learn more developments. Yeah. Other news from the director that I wanted to talk about... Um, uh, was the video for Mario Tennis because yeah. they actually showed a lot uh, yes. of the game and the gameplay. That was probably the game that they highlighted the most in the direct. Yeah, which yeah. I'm excited about because it looks super great. Yeah. Um, I do think I'll probably enjoy playing the game on classic mode <laughs> uh, more than all the other mode, uh, you know, power shots and right. power defenses and everything that they showed. I forget exactly what they were called, but yeah, they had like these new special shots that could either break your opponent's racket right. if they didn't like time the the rally correctly. Basically, they found a way to turn Mario Tennis into a fighting game. Yeah, which is I think why you and Sean are 
really excited for those modes yes. because you both love fighting games. Yeah, that that's correct. The ways in which they've they've turned it into sort of this rock paper scissors experience is really interesting to me because it works the way fighting games tend to a lot of the time. I think it's an interesting experiment. I don't know how well it's going to feel in execution because it's also very weird and nothing like any Mario tennis game we've seen before. Right. But I'm 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 intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, I mean, I think if anyone can pull it off at this point, it's Nintendo. And like, let's also be fair; it's not like people were playing Mario Tennis in the past for a, a true experience, right? Like, yeah, it was always very arcadey. Yes. Um. So making it more arcadey is not necessarily a, a worrisome thing. Yeah. Uh, and I do like that the optional that the that it is an optional uh, setting. You can just play the classic mode if you want to. Yes. Yeah. Um. And I love a lot of the characters that they've introduced <laughs> so yeah. much. Uh, Chain Chomp. Yeah. Looks like a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. No, he's great. Really, he's the he's the big one. Yeah, just you could play as a chain shop with a tennis racket. <laughs> I don't even know how he's holding it. Isn't it his mouth? I think it's in his mouth. Oh man, that's that's such a good pick. Yeah, I know. Uh, it, that was great to see. So I'm just really excited about that game. As everyone knows by now, I love sports games, and um, I also love wacky sports games. So really excited to pick that one up when it comes out. Did they have a, a release date for it? June twenty second. So a little bit longer to wait, but uh, you know, still great. Yeah. That's my new catchphrase. <laughs> good good poem there. Thank you. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to cover from the direct? Uh there are a lot of like cool small announcements. Yeah. They gave Octopath Traveler a July release date. And... Still not sure if I'm gonna pick that one up. That's... Really didn't like that trailer. Really? I yeah. I'm I'm into it. You can you can combine jobs. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm definitely in the minority and I recognize that. <laughs> um but yeah. I can see a scenario where I play through that game and decide that it sucks. <laughs> but I, I understand what you're saying, that uh, Octopath, Octopath Traveler, you can see it being not a fulfilling experience right. based off of what you've played and seen so far. Yeah. But it's doing enough interesting and new things yes. um, yeah. with enough potential charm that it could speak to you. Yeah, very well put. Better, Thank you. better than I was putting no, it. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's why we do this together. Yeah. Uh, Captain Toad's getting the Switch port. He is, and I've never played a Captain Toad game. Yeah, I'm excited about this announcement because I'm excited that you might eventually get to play it. I could see myself recommending that to you down the line. Ooh. <laughs> I might be the only person excited about this because it's coming out for the 3DS, but, <laughs> but WarioWare is getting a compilation title called WarioWare Gold that... Puts a bunch of mini games from past entries in the franchise, along with a handful of new ones, and yeah, it's like uh, a greatest hits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a WarioWare greatest hits game, and I love WarioWare. Oh, I love it so much, and I'm just glad that the franchise isn't completely well, dead. Yeah, I mean, this is a really exciting announcement. I, I got excited when I saw WarioWare, and less excited when I saw 3DS. Obviously, yeah. Um, but the fact that they are Doing that, I think, is a signal that we will get a WarioWare game on Switch in the next couple years. I agree completely. And I'm really excited to see what that is, because WarioWare games are the best games to test what Nintendo's consoles Mm -hmm. and handhelds can do. Exactly. Um, Even on a bad console, a WarioWare game is still pretty good. Yeah. Um, Thinking specifically of, like, the Wii. Um, (laughs) Smooth Moves was a good time. I like Smooth Moves. uh, So, yeah, I think it's really exciting potentially yeah and even if not like it's a nice idea for the WarioWare fans out there to to do a best hits game yeah uh and you know the 3ds is still a very popular handheld system so um it's not weird in, in any way agreed yeah 
that's all the stuff I'm excited about. It's cool that Undertale's getting... Yeah, are you going to buy that? Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely, if there's any significant new content. Uh, but even if there isn't, maybe. I do really love Undertale. You do really love Undertale. <laughs> I feel a little bad that I recommended that game to you before it hit the Switch. Well, I, playing it on PlayStation 4 was a totally fine experience. Okay, that's good. I don't regret that at all. Okay, that's good to hear. <laughs> I think it's also funny from the direct that Dark Souls is getting an amiibo. <laughs> yeah, I I love both of the darks. I love both the Dark Souls is getting an amiibo, and all the amiibo yeah. does is give you an emote where you praise the sun or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like which like means nothing to us because <laughs> yeah. we've never played Dark Souls. Yeah, uh, South Park is also coming to Switch. Crash Bandicoot's also coming to Switch, mm-hmm. and that's neat. But I think probably doesn't really affect our lives. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I I won't be getting either of those probably. One thing Amy might be getting is Okami HD. Though. Oh yeah, yeah, that was an I that that was very unexpected for me. I hmm. did not see that one coming. Okay, uh, I'm I wasn't super surprised by it, but I'm really happy to see it on the yeah. Switch. Okami's definitely an underrated game. Absolutely, uh, it sort of got overshadowed by Zelda Twilight Princess when it came out, yeah. which was another Zelda style game featuring a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was bad luck and bad timing for Okami. I think but, it still did well. Yeah, it's, it still uh, did pretty it okay. It's not probably as remembered today as it should be. Exactly. Uh, and looking back, I think I actually liked Okami more than I liked Twilight yeah, Princess. That's fair. So it's I, it's cool. The more people play that game, the better. I also think uh, Okami at the time was mostly talked about for its art style and how beautiful it was. Yeah. And it's only going to be more so with modern graphics. And processing power. Hopefully. Hopefully. As long, long as that remaster is well done. And I, I mean, there's no reason to think it won't be. Capcom's a reason to think that it won't be. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> hey, they've got a ton of money now. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Monster Hunter World did pretty well for them. Yeah. Uh, that that actually can only be good news. I bet they'll they'll try harder with their ports and their other titles now that they've got a big success under their belt. Fingers I, crossed. I think so. And and maybe this is breaking our rule a little, a little bit. But they're also, speaking of Capcom and Monster Hunter World, there also yeah. was, um, uh, Capcom did announced some updates that they're making to the game. Yeah. Uh, and they they responded to a lot of problems people had with the game. Yeah, Which yeah. is really awesome. And also not necessarily what one expects from Capcom. Yeah. To like listen to their fans. But in Monster Hunter World, you now can get a one-time voucher to change your character's appearance, which Ooh. people have been clamoring for. Right. I I am kind of side-eyeing them a little bit because people were asking, hey, we want to be able to change our character's gender and appearance right. whenever we want. And they said, oh, cool. Well, we'll let you do that for free once, <laughs> and every other time you have to pay us for yeah, it. Yeah, that's not great. Also, you can't change your character's name for some reason. It's it's almost as weird as not being able to change your name on PSN all these years <laughs> Almost. Yeah, the fact that you get a voucher to do it once is a little bit silly, and I don't, yeah. I just don't understand their reasoning, like why yeah. they don't want people to be able to change their character on a whim. I have no idea. Um, but they've also announced some other cool things. Uh, you can now go straight back to the Gathering Hub after yeah. uh, Hunt, which is amazing. Yeah, good quality of life changes. Great quality of life changes. And the fact that pretty much every weapon got some kind of buff, like mm-hmm. hammers can stun better. Yeah. Uh, now and thanks, Capcom. <laughs> As a hammer user, <laughs> uh, but tying that point back to Capcom and back to Okami, mm-hmm. like, hey, maybe it'll be great because they're actually somewhat listening now. Maybe. And they have all the money in the world. Yeah. This past few months of Capcom makes me more optimistic for them taking 
their job seriously. And on that note, so that's pretty much the news of the week. Yeah. <laughs> Let's end on bashing the uh, Capcom employees. <laughs> I'm sorry, Capcom. No, you're not. Uh, <laughs> but that's well that's well earned over the years. Um, so that's basically the news for the week. Um, if there's anything from the Nintendo Direct or Monster Hunter World or anything else that happened in the week of video game news that you'd like to share with us, go ahead and tweet it at us. We're on Twitter at Play This Podcast. Yeah. So, Daniel, what else have you been playing? Well, uh, I guess we can start with what we've both been playing since well, our sure. last recording. Right. Uh, we beat Monster Hunter World we together. Did. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should some confetti. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's clarify that point. There's no such thing as beating Monster Hunter World. Right. We we beat what is considered the true, the true final, final boss. boss. Uh, he was very glowy. Yes. Uh, the final boss monster in the game is actually probably my favorite design. Great design. Yeah, my favorite design in Monster Hunter World, and it was more a than really... Dodogama. Hmm. I love Dodogama. <laughs> Dodogama's up. That's there. mostly a joke. Yeah. Uh, they're they might be tied actually. I love Dodogama. It was also one of the most satisfying fights in that game. It was... Well, especially for a bow user. Yeah, it's no, a it was very long monster. Yeah, there's a mechanic where I can do a special shot with my bow. And the shot goes all the way down to the length of the monster. Like, And I was doing some major chunky hits on that final boss because he was such a long fella. He's a long fella. What? So now that we have beaten the true final boss, what are your thoughts on the game? That final experience like really made me feel better about the game. Like even better than I did yeah. when... When we recorded last time, that was a great final experience, and it's <laughs> it is still frustrating that it took me forty hours of gameplay right. to be that satisfied with the game. Yeah, I think that component of it never really goes away. Like yeah. you just you have to dedicate so much time to Monster Hunter to get anything out of it. Yeah, but what you get out of it, no other game provides. Hmm. I don't think um, like that, yeah, especially that final run up of. Uh, Endgame monsters, yeah, is in, it's like the game shines for hours at that point because those those what are they three final monsters and then the final boss the true boss yeah yeah are each unique and thrilling and really fun hunts with each have their own theme song yeah we didn't talk about the music on our Monster Hunter podcast and I feel like that was a mistake music's good music's really good yeah and some of those good boss. Endgame monster themes are fantastic. Yes, yeah. The, the final bosses theme was really dope. Yeah. Um, but I loved all of those endgame hunts. Kashal Dori is probably the hardest monster in the game, in my opinion. Yeah. And it was like batting your head against the wall. But when we finally beat it, it was a really thrilling feeling. Yeah, those those were hard but satisfying. And it was it was good. Yeah. And just so I, you know, get the proper context, Kashalador is not the true final yeah. uh, boss. That's one of the end game monsters that leads up to the true final boss. Yes, yeah. And he is a real tough cookie <laughs> made of wind. A tough wind cookie. Which sounds like like some sort of euphemism for farting. It does, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I busted a tough wind cookie today. <laughs> As I do every day. 
Yeah, I'm I'm glad I got to that point of Monster Hunter World. I think now that I've experienced pretty much every monster in the game, I won't be playing the game much more now. Well, we are about to get a new monster this month. Yes, and and that's actually what I was about to say is I'm definitely going to jump back in whenever there's DLC to check out those new monsters and how they play and and see what kind of new armor and and weapons they provide. Yeah. Uh but I do feel like I've I've experienced a satisfying amount of the game. I'm not like starved for more. But I think I I think I'll definitely jump back in a few more times this year to see what kind of events there are and and that sort of thing. I think another one of the trade offs of like how long it takes to play this game is that while that's true, mm-hmm. like if you would say that about another game, it might sound like you weren't getting full value out of the game, right? But you're saying that after seventy hours of gameplay, so yeah. it's like even if you don't pick it up again, which yeah. you will. Yeah. You've already gotten your money's worth in that in Monster Hunter World. Yeah, which yeah, is, which is nice. Yeah, I I agree with that. I'm I'm guessing that you didn't play anything besides Monster Hunter World and, and Odin Sphere. Wrong. Oh, oh, damn! <laughs> I've also well, played uh, Florence finally. Oh right, yeah. How how was that? How's Florence? So Florence is the uh, iOS only game, mm-hmm. um, and it's basically a, a, a short visual novel in game form. Um, that's about forty five minutes to play. I'd say it's quite short. Hmm. Um, but man, is it good? Yeah, it tells such a good story and in such a good way. Really, my only complaint about it is that it's too short. It could be twenty minutes longer and and not sacrifice what it's trying to do at all, in my opinion. Wow. And and it would be a, probably like a eleven out of ten. As it is, it's like a it's like a nine point five out of ten. Okay, um, it's just a little too short. But the interactive elements in the visual novel are yeah. are. Like they fit perfectly. Oh, nice. Um, it tells, a, like I said, a really great story um, about, you know, love lost and won and, and not in that order. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just beautiful. The art is incredible. Um, it's one of my early favorite games of the year for sure. Oh, damn. And it's one of those games that you definitely think about long after you finish playing it. Uh, which, you know, is fair because it doesn't take you very long to play it. Uh, <laughs> but absolutely highly recommended. I'm not going to make an official recommendation on it because it's just too short. Yeah, but um, I, I might check it out anyway on my you own time. 100% should check it out. 100% okay. should check it out. What, how, like, it's it's on iOS and Android now, right? Is it on Android? I, I think it just launched oh, on Android. It? Oh, yeah. good timing. Yeah. Um, I think it's like two ninety nine, roughly in that area on okay. iOS. That um, sounds worth it. Yeah, I played it on an iPad, which is definitely an experience I'd recommend if you have one at home because I think having the slightly larger screen was nice for the because the art is so beautiful and you really want to like engage Aww. with it okay so if you have that option at home that's what i would i would recommend personally hmm. um but even if you don't um absolutely if you like graphic novels at all if you like um interactive visual novels at all um get this game and even if you don't think you do like that it's 40 minutes long <laughs> and only a couple bucks like that's you know one ride on the subway, uh, both in terms of distance, uh, length, and in terms of cost. So right, um, there's not much to lose in trying the game, and it's just fantastic. Nice, cool. I I dibbled and dabbled in in a couple different games. Nintendo is shutting down their original Wii Virtual Console service. Right. So I I went back and looked at some of the offerings that you can't get on the Wii U oh, Virtual that's Console. Smart. Yeah, and I got a I got the original Smash Bros for the oh. N64 and I played that. That game is old. <laughs> that game is real old. Yeah, that game's really old, but you can still fundamentals that make Smash fun are still in that game. Absolutely. I played through Arcade Mode a couple times. Who I did unlocked you play with? Uh-huh. I played with Pikachu and then I unlocked Captain Falcon and I played yeah. I played through with him. 
And yeah, game's game's still neat. One thing that's really interesting is that game really goes hard on their their original concept that all the characters in Smash Bros are just toys that a child is playing yeah, with. Because all like the little cutscenes and everything. Yeah, and and Master Hand is Master just Hand, like yeah. the the kid's hand, the kid that owns the toys. Uh, they 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 sort of have less emphasis on that in the later <laughs> Smash Bros. games. So it's really it's really fun to see that concept being so heavily featured. It's a really interesting game. Um, because of the roster so small, the the uh, power level of the various characters really feels much stronger to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a friend, uh, Travis, who um, <laughs> literally in my life has never lost a game playing with Ness. And we, oh, we yeah, would occasionally yeah. like do three versus one against him. This is not hyperbole. <laughs> we would occasionally do like three versus one battles where anyone could choose what they wanted and he would play with Ness. And he would beat us all often without losing a life. <laughs> Ness is so strong in that game. And it doesn't hurt that Travis is a very good player of of um the original smash so it's nothing that it's not taking away from his skill at all yeah he's but been a video Ness is real strong in that game yeah and also really hard to use like that's a high skill cap uh player for certain oh yeah the character rather yeah um oh i also play with jigglypuff uh another who... high skill. <laughs> yeah J- jigglypuff isn't as good in smash smash one <laughs> jigglypuff was more just a straight-up joke character and then was a hidden monster in melee yeah very good in melee yeah i love jigglypuff Last but not least, just last night, actually, uh, Amy, uh, Sean, and I all played Drop Mix. Yeah. I saw it sitting out on your table earlier. Yeah. Uh, So Drop Mix is this game from Harmonix, the guys that made Rock Band and Guitar Mm -hmm. Hero, and they're just really good at making unique musical experiences. This qualifies in spades. (laughs) Basically... Drop mix comes with like this sort of DJ table. It's a it's a physical uh, game. Yeah, right. Yeah, it it comes with this like little table with like five slots on it, and you put cards in those slots to play. And it comes with sixty cards, and it has a bunch of uh, booster packs and supplements you can buy. And each card is like one element of a song. Like there's a card that's like the vocals from Call Me Maybe. There is a card that's the the trumpets from Short Skirt, Long Jacket from Cake. There's a piano and vocals from Childish Gambino's Heartbeat. Basically, uh, you put each card down, and it mixes together those songs to create to create a mix. Uh, and the mixes all sound so good. The technology they use them like make everything fit together is incredible and we just made mixes together for like three hours straight <laughs> last night and it was it was so cool one thing the app also lets you do is save your mixes oh I so i yeah, yeah um here's actually the first one i made i i made a mix that has elements from all frazzled from a tribe called quest scenario from Childish Gambino's heartbeat and the vocals from Evanescence's Bring Me to Life. <laughs> and it <laughs> it sounds so good, like all mixed together. I will play a clip from it now.
and yeah, there's there's just a lot of really excellent. Even the base set has sixty cards that you can make a bunch of great mixes with. I literally have over thirty mixes that we made, just saved yeah. onto my onto my app now. That's awesome. And maybe I can put one or two on our Twitter. Yeah, that'd be point. great. Yeah, I know you're obviously glad to be bringing this game up, but I, I'm glad that you're bringing it up too because I I heard a lot of uh, video game journalists and reviewers talk about this game. Yeah, but then it kind of just fell off the face of the earth. And yeah, I, I think probably the reason is price point. Yes, so it's a hundred bucks uh, to start, and the reason I got it is because Amazon at the time of this recording is selling it for fifty bucks. So Amy and I. Went half seas on it, so I spent twenty five dollars on this set, and that was a bargain. That is absolutely worth it. Do you feel like it's worth it at its original price point? I think if you plan on using it a lot in like party settings and stuff, right? I think it is still like a worthwhile purchase. Uh, one thing that makes me want to put an asterisk on that is the fact that you know, with just sixty cards, you'll sort of you'll have like a couple good days of like using it and then sort of run out of, of ways in which everything sounds different. And then you'll want to buy booster packs and expansions. Uh, and expansions are like 15 bucks a pop. Uh, you can get like a booster pack for five bucks or like a six pack of boosters for 25 bucks. We ended up ordering some stuff last night after we had so much fun with this. Uh, and we ended up spending like another 50 bucks total on all that. And that still feels like it's worth it. Right. But if we had spent $100 on that Originally. and then another like yeah. $50 to $100 on expansions, then uh, then like you'll have to you'll have to be a DJ. <laughs> to... <laughs> and if you're a DJ, you're probably not interested. In <laughs> right, yeah. You can do this on your own. Right, yeah. It's it's still kind of like worth checking out. I think if I'd gotten it at its original price point, it would have been expensive, but I wouldn't have regretted it because it's so cool. On sale right now at this price point, 100% worth it. Like a bargain, seriously. Really cool. Nice. Yeah. So those are the games that we've been playing in addition to the the big game that we played for this podcast. And I think because we didn't do this last time, I think we should pull Sean in just for a moment so that he can share why he recommended this game to us. Sure. And then we can kick him out and respond to that, not to his face. <laughs> sure, that that works. So, Sean. Yes. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. It's good to be here for five seconds. <laughs> so, we figured since we have you literally in the in the space that yeah. we would take advantage of that and have you kind of just give a quick breakdown of uh, Odin Sphere and why you recommended it to us. Sure. Um, so, Odin Sphere is definitely one of those kind of formative games that really helped shape my taste in uh, terms of the kind of games that I like. Um, one thing that I've always really liked in video games is when... Uh, when a game kind of tries something new and different that's really never been done before. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the kind of ambition there, and I enjoy kind of getting to experiment with a really unique uh, mechanic or situation. 
And I think that there's a number of uh, ways that Odin Sphere does that. I think that the kind of way that they tell the story with the different characters and the different timelines is really interesting. I think that it's fun that you get to kind of grow plants using uh, ciphers, you know, after battle's over. Um, I uh, think the art is gorgeous. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a game that I really like a lot that kind of helped inform uh, my taste in video games. And, uh, you know, um, I think that uh, I wanted to recommend Life Thrasier in particular because um, even though I really enjoyed the original Odin Sphere, it's a much more flawed game. And I think that by revisiting it, they were able to kind of address a lot of concerns that fans had and make it a more compelling experience. When did the original Odin Sphere come out, or when did you first play it? Uh, I first played it in college, and it came out a little bit before I got into college. I want to say like 2006 or 2007 uh, for the PS2 originally. Well, great. That's great context. Uh, feel free to stay if you like, but now we're going to talk about the game, so you're, you, can, <laughs> you can also leave. Okay, well, um, have a great time, guys, and I'll look forward <laughs> to hearing your impressions at a later time. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> sounded a little sexier than, than I intended. <laughs> All um, right, so Sean has left the building. Uh, yeah. So uh, let's give our first quick and dirty reactions, as we always do, and then we yeah. can kind of have a more open conversation after a spoiler tag comes in. Yeah. So off the top, what are your quick and dirties? You know, I actually... I wasn't super feeling it at the beginning, but the more I played it, the more I liked it. Uh, the gameplay, I really enjoyed the gameplay, and it got really rewarding after like a couple loops, basically. The narrative has some major things that I didn't like, but there's there's a few elements of it that I thought were cool concepts and had some interesting things going on uh, that I'll talk about in more detail Ultimately, I'd say I had a lot more fun with it than I was expecting, and there's some elements of, like, the combat and the sort of the progression mechanics in the game that are really satisfying once once I put the time in. But how about you, buddy? Well, I think this is a play this first, where um, we have pretty different <laughs> opinions on a video yeah. game. Um, we, we haven't always aligned perfectly, yeah. but I would say my experience with this game has been a little bit different than yours. Um, you know, yeah. I... I will say at the top, and I'll probably repeat this as we go along, I didn't put as much time to this game as, as you did. Right, um, yeah. So you're definitely further along than I am. But I yeah. did put enough time in to to get an understanding of the game. Yeah. And the gameplay wasn't as rewarding for me. And because the narrative also wasn't super rewarding, there wasn't a lot yeah. bringing me back. Yeah, yeah. Um, it definitely, this is the first time I've played a game for the podcast where it felt like I was playing a game for the podcast, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> you said that a little too knowing. <laughs> I think you're probably going to fall out too. Um, but it's, uh, so my, my, just my quick response is that I didn't love this game. I didn't engage with it in the yeah. same way. Um, and I think we can have a, a larger conversation about why that is and, and about your positive experience, but just yeah. off the, off the dome real quick. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I'll say. Yeah. And I do want to say off the top that I, I think I know several of the reasons that you didn't like latch onto it already. And I think those are, I feel like when you say why you didn't like it, I think I'm going to relate to those reasons. I think that they're very valid. <laughs> sure. Yeah. This, this game is definitely flawed in a lot of ways, but I think, 
I think there's a cool, unique experience in there as well. So well, I'm really excited to dive in more because, like I said, this is the first time we're kind of in a different place about a video game. So I think yeah. we can have a really interesting conversation or hopefully you know, an interesting conversation will come out of that. So yeah, those are our quick and dirty thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. If you're, if you're really interested in playing this game and don't want any spoilers at all, now would be a good time to uh, check the timestamps that Daniel has lovingly put into the episode <laughs> and you can jump around to wherever you'd like to be next. Yeah. So diving in deeper, let's start with the gameplay because that's the core portion of the game. Obviously that's mm-hmm. what really the hook of the game is or what the game wants it to be. So Odin Sphere is a side-scrolling action RPG um, that has lots of um, RPG elements. You can level up your character after fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, You can. There's a lot of item management and equipment management. Not a lot. There's some. It revolves around a side-scrolling action um, combat. So each map is either linear or circular, and you go around and you fight all the enemies on the screen. Yeah. And then depending on how well you did and how well you you killed them, um, you get different uh, ranks and then yeah. those ranks give you different bonuses and so on and so forth on yeah. each um, map there's also uh, mid-level bosses and then final level bosses that are obviously harder yeah um, and uh, you know it's about using your character's attacks that you gain and, and that they have natively to defeat those monsters basically as quickly as you can yeah that's basically how the game plays right um your uh main weapon kind of determines what kind of attacks you have each character has a different weapon yeah and they perform differently in combat yes yeah yeah that that sums it up really well and there's things i like and things that i can see not being as great about that system one thing one thing i sort of thought as i i played through this game is that it feels kind of like a 2D version of Devil May Cry in some ways. Yeah. Uh one one of the things that uh the combat system sort of relies on is you chaining your character's moves together to make combos. Right. And you can make some really long uh really uh really varied combos with some some move sets. Well, maybe not varied's the right word, but they're definitely long. Yeah. <laughs> you can make some you can make some really big combos. In fact, I think there's an achievement for making a combo of like over a hundred or two hundred hits. Yeah, yeah. And I found that I really enjoyed uh, putting together combos. I'm usually not great at that in stuff like fighting games. Actually, I I suck at doing combos in fighting games. It's probably the the weakest part of my my play <laughs> style. But it's so simple and easy to do in Odin Sphere that I was I was chaining together some really fun looking combos. Uh, that felt really satisfying to pull off, and I thought maybe you would enjoy that aspect as well as a guy who's good at combos and stuff like Tekken. Well, maybe not good. <laughs> that's that's interesting because they are really easy to pull off in Odin Sphere, yeah. and I found them kind of boring. Uh, I was regularly doing, and this is not a compliment of myself. This this isn't this said to be like braggadocious. I was regularly doing like a hundred or two hundred hit combos mm-hmm. just by mashing square. Like there wasn't right. a lot of thought that I had to put into it. Right. Um, it just kind of happened really easily and naturally. And it, it did feel a little bit like I was only engaging with the game with a certain, with like a portion of my brain. Uh, that's, that's fair. I think some of the combos are so easy to do that you can just sort of autopilot as you do them. Right. Once uh, you get into the air, especially like it's just yeah. the combos, especially as Gwendolyn, 
Yeah. It's just, it's kind of automatic on a certain level, as long as the enemy is still within the reach of your weapon. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Like, you, you hit them up in the air, you do three hits, uh, then they get knocked away from you a bit, and you hold down forward and square to catch up to them and then do it again. Um, you don't even always have to do that. If you keep attacking upwards, you'll just keep attacking them in the air un- un- unceasingly. Oh, dang. I uh, I had a combo that I that I did with Cornelius uh, that actually broke the counter. Oh, really? I, I did... Uh, I, I found out where the counter ended because that's well, how long it my... End? It ends at 999. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did a thousand... I did an over a thousand hit combo with Cornelius uh, by really, like, putting all of his moves together. One thing this game does is you unlock moves for your character as you play through each map, and then you can sort of attach those moves to your character, like, sort of hotkey them, like... Uh, almost smash style. Actually, you can you can make one of your special moves forward and circle, and you can make another down and circle. I unlocked a bunch of moves for Cornelius. He has a move where he makes electrical orbs surround him, and the orbs dizzy the they they have a chance to dizzy the opponent. So I would I would put that to his down circle move, and then like I'd I'd start out with some sword hits. I'd activate the orbs. And then, uh, and then once the opponent was dizzied from that, I would do his up circle move that I'd assigned to him, which was uh, sort of the, sort of the link thing where he spins his sword around in a circle. He would, uh, he would do that, and I just got this loop going where I'd like electrocute and stun the opponent, <laughs> and then just wail into them with my sword special moves, and then like knock them into the air, juggle them in the air, and then hit them back down to the ground and start my my pattern again. Uh, I managed to max out the counter by doing that, and that was really satisfying. Yeah. That that was my most successful combo, but I was able to do like 500 to 600 hit combos with with some other characters by really getting creative with their move set and and finding new ways to sort of keep enemies in a loop like that. I think that's really interesting, and I think that this kind of helps explain some of our different opinions about the game. Yeah. Because the skills that you learn and can assign, like you were saying in that hockey fashion, didn't hold much interest for me (laughs) because combat's easy enough with just mashing square. Right. That you, and I was playing on normal difficulty. I wasn't playing on easy. I was playing on normal too. Yeah. Yeah, That like, Mm there isn't an in-game incentive to try to find combos. And it makes sense that both you and Sean love this game more than I do because you both are fighting game people at heart. Right. And so finding combos is like an inherent part, even if you're not good at it, right. As you said, is an inherent part of fighting games. Yeah. Figuring out how to beat your enemy in creative ways is an inherent part of fighting games. Yeah. That's a good point. This is more a fighting game in a lot of ways (laughs) than it is an RPG and fighting Mm. games aren't really my bag. Right. Um, It's also less an RPG. I think it has RPG mechanics tacked on. I don't know. They're not, very authentic to me. Mm. Um, it's more of just like a traditional arcade brawler. I yeah, I I can I can agree with with that to an extent for sure. Yeah, and so because it is that game, uh, if you're just going through and wailing on enemies, um, it's not as inherently interesting as if you are engaged in the malleability of the character's skill set, which right. I never personally got engaged in because the game wasn't giving me an incentive to. Right. Um, because it wasn't necessary. I didn't beat that's, every... That's a good point. That's yeah, a good point. I didn't beat every level um, with, like, S-tier um, ranking each time. Right. S-tier is the highest tier in the game. Yeah. Um, but I was rarely struggling pretty much just mashing square. And <laughs> and when I did enter areas where I struggled, like against certain bosses or against certain trials, 
the solution was just occasionally using skills more and healing more. It yeah. wasn't like, oh, I need to figure out a better way to combo. It was like, oh, I just need to play smarter and a little bit more defensive. And, oh, yeah, I beat it. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah, those are very different experiences with this game that we had. That's fair. It The game is never so challenging that it requires you to come up with really flashy-looking... I'm sure on hard it is. Um, oh, that's but a good on, point. on normal yeah. difficulty, it's not. Yeah, that's and, a good point. And, you know, the majority of people, especially on their first playthrough, are going to play a game on normal difficulty. So. Yeah. And I really don't think this game has that many RPG elements. And especially because, especially early game, I don't know if this changes in the late game, mm-hmm. but um, there is a skill tree in the game. And I got really excited because at first I thought the skill tree was going to be like the sphere grid from Final Fantasy X. Uh, <laughs> but there's a skill tree that every time you get a cipher, which is uh, what you use to unlock skills, the yeah. game takes you into the menu automatically, <laughs> guides you to where it's going to unlock the skill, and then unlocks the skill for you. Yeah. It felt so handholdy. <laughs> and I just, I, that for me also kind of explains a lot of my struggle with the game was there are mm. a lot of uh, mechanics and a lot of thoughts tacked on but they're done in a really inauthentic way they're Mm. done in a really showy way that don't that don't actually give you any choice as a player and again maybe Mm. that changes later on but like i'm two characters in and still Mm. the game is like auto unlocking skills for me yeah i mean that'll never change so why present that as as if it's going to be a choice Mm. it's just Uh, a weird decision to me you're you're right the the way it's laid out in in the skill uh menu I, I can see like it sort implies of the, choice. Yeah, I can see sort of the the sphere grid aesthetic. Yeah, I in my playthrough, I never really thought of it that way. I'm just like, oh, cool. A lot of the skills that you could get, uh, you sort of unlock by finding them in hidden routes or or defeating really hard or you know comparatively hard sets of enemies uh, that are optional. You know, they're sort of like on a side path that you can get. So like, I I never really assumed that there would be choice, and more just found like. I found a fun thing to do to find and unlock new skills that I could then, you know, attach to my character and try to make new combos with. And see, going tying this back to gameplay, that was fun for you because you found combat fun. Yeah. I, I personally found co- combat dull. And right. so it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go unlock something. Yay. It was more like, oh, I, I'll go beat this thing and, you know, just smash square for a while. <laughs> um, did, it, did, you, uh, did you do everything on a map or did you just sort of... Uh, yeah, usually, the usually I would do everything on a map. Okay, um, there cool. are a couple where like I didn't buy the the area map, and so maybe I missed a few things. But right. For the most part, especially once I kind of realized the mechanic, I I I completed maps. Okay, cool, good to know. Um, especially because I do think that's necessary to be at the right level for fighting the end level boss. True. You kind of want to do all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think that it's interesting, and this goes back to something that Sean said, which is why I'm really glad that he came in to talk about the game a little bit. Right is they are trying a lot of different things, which is neat. Um, So, for instance, there is the level-up mechanic where occasionally you do unlock new skills. Mm -hmm. Um, And within that, you you do get some choice because, uh, as Sean mentioned, when you defeat enemies or you defeat levels, you get these, um, uh, you know, things that you can use to level up your character. And you can choose where to put those. So, for instance, you can use them to grow plants. Um, You can also use them to unlock tiers of skills that the game has unlocked for you and i do think that that level of choice is neat but again it's just not necessary because i'm glad that the game doesn't give you a right or a wrong choice like if you make the wrong if you expend these um level up i don't know what what should we call them what are they they called ciphers Uh, the the ciphers are the weapons yeah what is the actual sprite called the little thing 
Um, oh, the, uh, I, man, I, I forget. I think they're just called Cypher Skills, maybe? So whatever those are. Those little yeah. things that you collect from defeating enemies and levels. Yeah, Cypher Shards, I don't know. I'm glad that the game doesn't present you with choices that can ruin your run. Like, if you spend those Cypher Skill points, you know, growing a plant instead mm-hmm. of uh, leveling up a skill, and then you lose because you did the wrong thing. Yeah. I'm glad that it doesn't do that. But the inverse is true, maybe too much to me. Like, maybe it's toned too much, where each decision also doesn't really matter mm. because they're not having they're having they have a tangible effect yeah but the game is I, the combat's just still too simplistic for me to really feel like i'm making interesting choices right i don't have a i don't really have a rebuttal for that one like that's the way that there's there's one resource that you spend on multiple things but you're usually getting enough of that resource right. that it it's not it's not making the game prohibitively hard you can sort of spend it however you want um yeah i i see pluses of that and i see minuses right it's not an inherently bad thing it's just like in concert with the gameplay not being interesting for me yeah it becomes a negative inherently it's not negative but i think in concert it's it's not the best for me yeah how did you feel about the food mechanic the food mechanic is neat but again it's another thing where it's like they have all these interesting things that they're trying but they right they, they do each one halfway yeah and the the food mechanic for for more context there's a crafting system in the game. You can craft together different potions to do things in battle, and you can also you can also go to a chef in rest areas and give him a bunch of the food that you've collected, and he'll make meals for you. The meals are how you are how you level up in the game. The primary way you level, yeah. Up. yeah. The the main way you level up in the game. You level yeah. up mostly through eating, which is fun. You do level up also from killing things, but yes. it's much more minuscule. Eating gives you a lot of experience. Yes, yeah. And you track down recipes, which is kind of neat. Like as the game yeah. goes along, you get more recipes. You can make better food. Yeah, um, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, you also unlock uh, like chapters. Like there's there's a whole like book mechanic uh, in the game where as you play through, you'll unlock. It's not really uh, a mechanic. It's just how the story's framed. Yeah, but some sometimes a reward for beating a level is unlocking a bit of lore that you get to read, right. or unlocking a recipe. Right. Uh, you also get like tutorial advice that you can sort of read on a parchment or in like a book or something. And yeah, I I did like that a lot. I I liked the whole framing of how that worked, and uh, and I I generally ended up reading through all of the lore stuff. Well, and what's nice is when you unlock lore, it's not like pages and pages and pages. It's pretty quick and easy to get through. Yeah, yeah. Each each lore thing is like maybe three or three to five pages usually. usually. I, I do like the food, but again, like I said, it, it kind of like uh, other things in the game feels like a half thought out mechanic where it feels more like to me checking a box rather than discovering something because you mainly get the recipes from beating a level or from buying them from merchants. Mm-hmm. And I wish there was some way to discover them natively in the world. Yeah. Um, I think... In a lot of ways, and maybe this is unfair of a, essentially a side-scrolling game, mm-hmm. I, I just wish there was more sense of discovery in the game. But everything, every new mechanic and everything just felt like checking boxes to me. Like, here's another box hmm. you can check. Rather than, here's something you discovered and you can do now. And for me, that was frustrating. For you, that sense of discovery came again in the combat. Yeah. And the game is, again, primarily centered around its combat. Right. So I think that that's the conversation that we keep going back to because that's where our difference really lies. <laughs> yeah. Is that there was no thing drawing me back. There was no sense of discovery. Yeah, We'll yeah, get yeah. to the plot so- stuff in a minute. Um, <laughs> which, I, which I think we'll have more common ground on. Right. Um, but, but anyway. But for you, because you kept finding fun, fun things to discover in combat, that was your sense of discovery. Yeah. 
And I just, I didn't engage with combat in the same way. And like, I want to be clear that I don't think that's necessarily, it's a, it's obviously a criticism of the game, but I recognize that it's a criticism of the game through my specific lens. Right. I don't think we're talking about a bad game in Odin's Sphere. And yeah. I would never say that I think it's a bad game. Right. I just think it's not the right game for me. Yeah. And I would also say, as someone that did enjoy Odin's Sphere, this game is definitely not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a very niche experience. And it's something that I think, I think people that like games with an emphasis on combat and like combo systems and uh, and weird like level up and skill mechanics, uh, if you're into stuff that sort of tries unique things in that regard, uh, this is definitely worth looking at. But if those are not things that you value in something with RPG elements so much, then you know I wouldn't. Uh, unconditionally recommend it to you. Yeah, I definitely would would say to someone who's considering this game, do not think of it as an RPG first. Think yeah. of it as a side-scrolling brawler. Yeah, and if that is interesting to you, with 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 it, honestly, it has more fighting game mechanics than it has, um, or more fighting game appeal. Yeah. Maybe not mechanics. It has more RPG mechanics than it has fighting game mechanics. But to me, it has more fighting game appeal than it has RPG. Appeal. No, I I would agree with that. I I think it's it's a it's a side-scrolling brawler with RPG elements. Yeah, yeah. Let me also say, uh, we're obviously not at the end of the conversation, um, but let me also say at this point, too, that I think we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. And I think to be to be fair, Odin Sphere, I also do want to say that it was the wrong game for me, but it was also the wrong game at the wrong time. We, we talked <laughs> we talked off off air a little bit about how, like, I've been, quote unquote, on for yeah. since the beginning of the new year yeah. for the podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been uh, a recommendee. Yeah, which some of it was my own fault because Monster Hunter World was like a a, a both recommendy right. situation. But I've been on since January with big big games, Persona Five, Monster yeah. Hunter World. Yeah. Um. So I I am to be honest, experiencing a little bit of like video game, um, objective burnout. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that is not a fair place to come into a game with, obviously. But I didn't right. really realize I felt that way till I played a game that was not engaging for me right so those things definitely exacerbated each other but i do want to be fair in saying to odin sphere as if it were a person that like <laughs> some of some of my lack of engagement with it definitely comes from like burnout it's cool that you're able to look at it from that objective of a lens as well right i mean we're yeah. obviously not video game journalists we're not professional video game reviewers but this is a, a you know if a anyone po- wants to hire us <laughs> right <laughs> you, you know how to contact us um it is definitely like i think fair to us our listeners and the podcast in general to try to play these games objectively yes and with a journalist's mindset yeah and like i think in some ways i would have failed on that end with evidence fear because I, <laughs> I probably should have put more time into it right but like i don't know i think a sign that i didn't want to engage with it is also worth listening to yeah i i agree and i did put enough time in, i don't need to defend myself i did put enough time into like to understand its mechanics and those were never going to change yeah um you do get different characters and they do play differently that's not what i mean i just right. mean like combat isn't fundamentally going to change I I yeah, yeah I agree with that. Uh, what what did you think of the presentation, like the overall aesthetic and stuff? Yeah, I think the art is really well done. There are some renderings of characters that are a little bit weird and <laughs> and unfortunate, um, <laughs> but I think the art on the whole looks really nice. Yeah, um, the music's fine. The voice acting I think is generally pretty bad. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, it's funny because this remake, Odin's Your Left Riser. Let's just also say that none of us know how to say this title. Yeah. Including Sean. Uh, 
it's funny you say that because the remake the, the remake. remake it's funny you say you turn into beaker the remake got a new voice cast the the original version for the ps2 had an amateur cast yeah uh doing the voice acting and they replaced it with quote-unquote better voice actors for for the remake like liam o'brien's in there and some other like bigger names um, I don't know. I, I thought the voice acting was pretty solid, actually. Uh, some, in in some cases, there there were a couple of bad voices, and actually, in in the first leg of the game, <laughs> there, in the first leg of the game, you're you're at Odin's castle, and there's these dwarves. Oh my god, they're they're terrible. <laughs> the dwarves are actually so bad. The the dwarf voice actor is clearly like. All the dwarves in Odin's castle are played by one voice actor, right. like trying to do different voices, and they're all so bad that I actually loved them. It was it was like right in that so bad it's good level for me. Yeah. Like <laughs> there, there's one line where uh, Gwendolyn like charges into battle, and uh, one of the dwarves goes, "Princess, you must not." <laughs> <laughs> And I, I actually lost it. It was so funny. Well, that's, and it wasn't supposed to be. Also, and... to be fair to the voice actors, like they're not getting a lot of help from the people who wrote the dialogue. <laughs> like, this is not easy stuff to say and sound good saying it mm. for the most part. Gwendolyn, for me, also suffered a bit from the Eunice syndrome, where she just sounded so weak and uh, yeah, and yeah, wispy. Yeah, and the quality of the recordings was also noticeably different. Interesting. Like some of them in Gwendolyn's, like you can hear some. Some muting or some fuzz behind what she's saying. Really, that you can't hear in other uh, recording uh, other characters. Uh, that's that's interesting. I had the volume kind of low when I was playing through a lot of it because um, the the music's pretty pretty loud. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. That's that's interesting. I didn't catch that part. There are some good voice performances. I think, like, I think Cornelius does a good job. I think the guy who plays Odin in, is great at voice acting. Uh, even if you know maybe his dialogue wasn't the best sometimes, <laughs> yeah. But he he definitely did a good job doing the like that big giant ass man king voice. Yes. What are what are your thoughts on the other components of the presentation? The overall aesthetic I think is really nice. The art styles are really cool and it looks great, especially like in HD, uh, which wasn't the case for the original. They did a really good job translating everything to widescreen and just making it yeah, look good. Yeah. Uh, there are some specific character designs. Uh. Queen of the Dead. Odette, Queen of the Underworld. Yeah, she's not great. Uh, the, when when she shows up, you see like like a big like white lump on her body. Right. And uh, initially, uh, I was like, "What is that?" And then I realized, "Oh, that's her boob." Yeah, uh, it's a really weird character model. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, like the she. She it's has like someone attached a white butternut squash to her chest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like she has a design that's supposed to be fan servicey, but it's so like weird and grotesque looking that you can't even like it. It doesn't. I don't see how people find it appealing no. either. You know, like, <laughs> uh, like it. It's just weird. Yeah gross <laughs> yeah and the rest of the art's nice like the backgrounds on the maps look nice yeah um, a lot yeah. of the, the models for the um for the enemies like each world has a very distinct and i can also tie that back into the gameplay too but each um each world does have a distinct uh different feel for the enemies mm-hmm. um they all look really different and they all fight different too which i did appreciate that 
yeah. but the enemies fought different in each world. I just didn't have to vary my strategy for fighting them at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although one one thing I will say, uh, in you saying that, you know, the game kind of got, like, to be a repetitive slog sometimes, is that as you play through more character stories, bosses repeat a lot. Yeah. And that's something that I thought was a little bit weird, because I fought um, Odette with Gwendolyn, and then you fight her very quickly with uh, with Cornelius. Yeah. And uh, it, it just... She was essentially Gwendolyn's endgame boss, at least at yeah. that point in the story. Yeah. And she's Cornelius's first boss. And I was like, it just felt weird to me. Yeah. That, like, suddenly she's so weak. Yeah. It just, like, it didn't mesh. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. That's fair. Some bosses are unique to each story, but there are also some bosses that you fight in every story. Mm. Some some bosses in the game I fought five times, I'm pretty oh, sure. That's a lot of uh, times. To fight the, the dragon Wagner, oh, the, yeah. the big red angry dragon... He fights everyone, so I I fought him five times. It's probably Wagner. Huh? Him, I guess. Oh yeah, Wagner. Yes, I think they even say that. I I was pretty tired of Wagner by the fifth time I fought him. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and that's kind of a, 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 a an issue that any game that tries to tell a story in this way yeah. is going to have to face. And I just wish they'd put more thought into what it means to fight the same boss with multiple characters. And like, again, the juxtaposition, the immediate juxtaposition of, of their one power boss, levels, right. Yeah. One boss being an end boss. And then also the first boss yeah. back to back. Yeah. I, I think, I think part of the reason they did that is because these are some big, gorgeous sprites for a lot of these bosses. Yes. They must've taken a lot of time and money to make. Yeah. So obviously they couldn't do unique bosses for every character story. From sort of a behind the scenes perspective, I, I empathize and I see where they're, what they were trying to do. Well, and they wanted to tether the multiple stories and and uh, characters together. Yeah, I, I think that's and, an aspect of it. Right, but, you but know, there's also, you, I'm sure, a pragmatic reason. Yeah, exactly. Like you you can you can tether stories together and not make me fight the same dragon five times. <laughs> <laughs> I I think some parts of the soundtrack were really solid, and <laughs> ju- jumping. Jumping back, I forgot one thing that I loved about the stupid dwarf voices <laughs> is there's a part where Gwendolyn uh sort of betrays her her country and ends up fighting uh fighting her own country people and you fight the dwarves in like these combat missions and when you juggle the dwarves in big combos, they just go like ow, 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 ow. <laughs> like <laughs> And the, and the ow noise they made would just like sort of like repeat like on his stutter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> uh, that's not. It probably shouldn't be a part that I loved about that game. But, but it was. doesn't it all surprise me that that it was something that you loved about the game? <laughs> uh, so I think that's the presentation angle pretty yeah. well handled. Do you want to move into story now? This is going to be because I've played less of this game than you. Something that I'm not going to be able to comment on quite as much. Right. But I do know some of the background on the story is that um, it's another uh, main component of the remaster was um, making the story clearer, I think, for, yes. for in English. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the criticisms of the original game is that the story, you know, much like Final Fantasy Tactics, just doesn't really make any sense. It was a bit incomprehensible. mainly yeah. because of the translation, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. So I will say that the story makes sense. Like, I understand the words that are in order right but it's really not an interesting story i think on a surface level i would agree i played enough to say that 
It depends, basically. So Certain characters have more interesting stories. That's part of it, yeah. So there's there's five characters that you can play as in the game, and each character sort of has their own vignette that you play through. Uh, although they're maybe they're a bit long. They're all a bit long to call vignettes. Uh <laughs> chapters yeah they they all have they all have their own books is what yeah, they call them go. yeah and each book has seven chapters the first story is Gwendolyn's story and i gotta say that's a rough start yeah i think you know not to make excuses for myself but it is reviewing the game <laughs> i think one of the reasons that i struggled with like wanting to keep playing this game is because that story was not interesting and problematic yeah oh man that <laughs> uh, that story was so gross it uh, like so sean off mic explained to me that a lot of the people who made odin spheres influence for the story was sort of these mythology stories right like these norse and greek mythology stories and they wanted to make stories that felt like that so as as these old mythology stories have problematic elements a lot of the time on purpose um they wanted to sort of tackle sort of the same the same topics and the same the same feel uh, and fine, I guess, uh, and I guess I can kind of see some of that in, in these stories, but uh, Gwendolyn's story is, is just so badly told and, yeah. and it's rough. Like <laughs> Gwendolyn spends a lot of the game, a lot of her story talking to sort of the inner manifestation of herself, talking yeah. to like her own conscience. She spends so much of the story talking to herself and she still doesn't pass the Bechtel test. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I didn't think about that. That's really, <laughs> that's a really funny way to put it. The first half of her story is her trying to impress her father and to get her father to admit his love for her. And it's the tone of it is all kind of gross and she's always comparing and comparing herself to her sister who died in combat and was a hero yeah mm-hmm. and then the, which the... like also but Gwendolyn can kill like literally everything <laughs> yeah it didn't make any fucking sense yeah it didn't like odin sort of arbitrarily ignores her and then at the halfway point of her story Gwendolyn discovers her half-sister velvet who is sort of a bastard child of odin's but odin still cares very much for Odin is sort of politically pressured into the situation where he has to execute Velvet for committing crimes against the kingdom, and Gwendolyn betrays her country and saves Velvet to save Odin from the guilt of having his own daughter killed. So she does that, and she has, like, Odin is secretly very thankful, but he has to punish Gwendolyn for the crimes that she has now committed. So... He casts a spell on her uh, that makes her fall asleep, and when she wakes up, she is betrothed to a husband and under a spell that makes her attracted to him. Uh, where do we start well, on that? Well, I mean, let, I, I'll also say that um, a, a point of friction for me with this game is that conversations that are not part of the plot you can skip through yeah which i didn't use to skip it but you can read faster than you can listen so yeah. i would read it and then skip right. you can't do that with story uh conversations and that's really huh. frustrating for me oh. because the so scenes go on a long time sometimes yeah and i wasn't enjoying the voice acting yeah. so like i was like trying to go through it faster but the game wouldn't let me because it wouldn't let me skip through um you know uh, huh. dialogue boxes which, which i had already read so my reaction to that was to kind of start doing other things while 
the story scenes were happening. <laughs> so I half paid attention to Gwendolyn's story. I paid attention enough to understand that this stuff was happening. Right. But I was not like getting super involved in the story because the game wasn't letting me take it in at the rate I wanted to take it in. Right. Which is like dumb. If you can, if you've already coded into your game the ability to skip through dialogue, yeah. Why would you lock com- um, that's, that's, story scenes? That's, that's very stupid. weird. I I would let the story scenes play, so I didn't realize that that was. That was something you couldn't do uh, because I noticed that you could do it in regular gameplay. Yeah. So I, I figured that if I wanted to, I could do it in the no, main story. But I decided to let the voice acting play out. So it's funny that you just fucking can't. No, it's really it's very frustrating. It's a minor yeah. thing, but it's a it's a major quality of life issue. No, like I, you know, like like we talked about last episode uh, when we played through Monster Hunter World, a seemingly minor quality of life thing is the way that we can't play through story missions for the first time together, <laughs> right. uh, that, you know, that's relatively minor. That shouldn't be a big deal, but it ruined the game for me for a while. Minor, minor issues can have major uh, implications. Yeah. Um, I, I, so, so yeah, that's like, because of that minor issue, you weren't paying attention right. to the story. That's Which a problem. It's good for me. Um, <laughs> I think the first thing I'd say is that it, there is a difference between challenging content and problematic content. Yeah. Um, and this game, I think, just doesn't straddle that line the right way. No, it it doesn't. Uh, because, so, I, I guess one thing I'll say is that uh, they sort of reveal later in the game that Gwendolyn isn't actually under a spell that makes her attracted to the man that wakes her up. Uh, Odin just tells people that for some reason, including his daughter. Yeah, no, it's, it's really stupid. But... You don't know that for the duration of Gwendolyn's right. story, so the story actually ends with with Gwendolyn seeing how much Oswald, uh, the the character she ends up betrothed to, and he ends up having his own playable arc. She realizes how much Oswald cares for her, and she ends up choosing Oswald over her attachment to her father. Oh, good, he's a very toxic man. Uh, yeah, and like the last, <laughs> the last thing that happens. Like, she decides to be with Oswald, and, like, one of her last lines of her story is, uh, I don't care that my love for you is the result of a spell. I'm happy. It's like, no, that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to be gaslit by your father is also not super great. Yeah, like, she thinks that this is the result of a spell. She's she's convinced that she's under, like, a love spell at the end of the story because her father gaslit her right. and she decides that's fine there's a i feel that there's there's some holes we can poke in that uh that's it's bad it's bad and so much of the issue with Gwendolyn's story is the fact that it's the first one you encounter i think yeah. i think our reactions to it would be tampered somewhat if 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 that weren't the case yeah if it were like, but the like third starting story. off with the story as like your leading foot and what you're using to engage players yeah and when you're falling into these stupid problematic tropes yeah like as your mode of engagement that doesn't really work. Yeah. And so it would maybe feel different if it came in later. Maybe. I mean, there, there's still stuff in there that's not great, and that wouldn't feel different. But, like, yeah. I think our reaction to it would be somewhat less vociferous if it wasn't what the game was, like, trying to hook us with. Yeah. It's like, hey, here's this, you know, this... character who is incredible in combat, but super weak and sub- completely subjugated by men, which, like, is if you want to make that point about how women are treated throughout history, that's not what the game, but that's not what the game's doing. No, no, it's, it's not, not making a point about how women are treated throughout <laughs> history. No. It's just like continuing the idea that that's okay. Yeah. Oh man. No, I had a lot of problems with the Gwendolyn story. Other stories are better. Uh, well, sure. I'm sure they write men just fine. <laughs> 
Um, the third character is uh is Mercedes, the queen of the fairies. Uh, she starts her story as the princess of her of the fairies, and then her mom dies. And her story is not about men. She has a little like side romantic arc where uh, a frog helps her out, and you know the frog needs a kiss to become a human. And you know she she initially is grossed out by the frog, but then sort of sees how brave and and selfless the frog is to her, and and you know turns turns him into a human. Uh, at which point he pieces out. <laughs> um, but uh, her main story is basically about her taking up the responsibility of being queen and trying to live up to her mother's legacy. Why couldn't we have gotten that story first? Like that sto- that was the out of the stories I experienced, Mercedes ended up being my favorite uh, because it was done in a really cool way. Uh, it focused a lot on sort of the political intrigue elements of the story. Like, you know, her, her cousin tries to overthrow her uh, because he's just a much more competent leader than she is at the beginning. I was actually engaged in that part of the story. Mercedes had a cool arc. It ends it ends on a cool note. I liked it. I'm sure there, there are people out there who think we might be making a bigger deal of this than, than it warrants, but I, I, I want to push back on that <laughs> straw man I created because um, <laughs> I think what's important for, to get across is that whenever you engage with a new piece of media, a contract is created between the person who is engaging with the media and the media itself. And that contract is informed by the first chapter of the book or the first scene of the movie or the first, you know, interaction with the game. Yeah. First impressions are important. And the contract that was set up by Odin sphere by starting with this story was not a very good contract. <laughs> it didn't make me want to see the rest of the game. Yeah. And and that's really it's not that we've talked about some really problematic content on this show. Yeah. It's not the same conversation as Persona 5. No. But it's not a super great way to bring a, a gamer in in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Cornelius's story is also better. It's a it's a different romance story than Gwendolyn's and I kind of thought I was like oh man are all these going to be love stories the answer is at least three out of five of them are but anyway (laughs) uh, one one thing I will say is that like made me enjoy the game more as I played it is the fact that each of these each of these stories each of these character stories take place at a different point in an overarching timeline and you can sort of see the effects that each character has on that timeline as you play through their story which is actually really cool. Um, when you play as Gwendolyn, her sister dies at the beginning of the story. Right. When you play through as Cornelius, his story starts at an earlier point in the timeline. You go to Odin's castle, and the older princess is alive. She doesn't really do much or say much, but you see her around. And then later in Cornelius' story, you're like walking through a city, and you hear some gossip, and someone's like, oh, uh, Odin's daughter has perished. And but with worse voice acting. <laughs> oh, Odin's daughter has perished. Was that better or worse? I can't tell. That was worse. Okay. Unless they're all Shrek. <laughs> Donkey! The princess! <laughs> well, I'm glad you laughed. Somebody once told me the princess is going to roll me. Uh, we, uh, you're just saying words now. I mean, I know you're, ref- you're referencing a song. But... <laughs> she wasn't the sharpest princess in the shed. So, 
<laughs> I think this whole thing's gonna get cut. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You, you get to connect the dots on on different parts of the story. Cornelius is a bunny, basically. He's a bunny with a sword, and he was turned into a bunny by his uh, fiance's brother, who doesn't think that Cornelius deserves to be with his fiance. Velvet, actually, the same half sister of Gwendolyn. A lot of, lot of tie-ins. A lot of tie-ins. So you sort of confront uh, the brother at the beginning, Cornelius' story, and then the brother sort of leaves for a while, and he comes back near the end of Cornelius' story. As you play through Mercedes' story, when you bump into the frog, that point takes place like uh, sort of in the middle of the whole timeline, and when she kisses the frog, it's Velvet's brother. <laughs> and and then you realize that uh, the time that Velvet's brother was absent in Cornelius' story... He was a frog for some reason. <laughs> and uh and there's a lot of I know, there's there's a lot of cool cool ways that the that the stories all weave together and these characters all get to have you'll you get to sort of see different aspects of their arcs from different characters' perspectives. That's neat. And that's really neat. I'd I'd say sometimes they they don't make a perfect landing on the execution of that. Right. But that was one of the most intriguing things about the game for me and one of the things that kept me hooked once I started playing other character stories. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. So other miscellaneous thoughts before we wrap up our conversation on Odin Sphere. I think one other uh, small thing, again, just a small quality of life thing that, that bugged me about the game, mm-hmm. um, was the way that you interact with merchants. Um, oh. You can only buy one thing at a time, and every time you buy something, it kicks you out of the screen. Uh, actually, you press right on the D-pad on each item, and you scroll down, you can buy all those things at once. But the game really? never tells you that. Oh. Yeah, the game never tells you that. Well, I that's just, really annoying. Yeah, I just learned that, like, I just assumed that could happen because I play so many old-school RPGs. Right. But the game never straight up tells you that you can. <laughs> That's really annoying. Yeah. And, and then the other component of that is instead of the items going into your inventory, the merchant throws them on the ground and then you have to go pick them up. <laughs> and on the whole, inventory management is really annoying in the game because like in order to drop things, you have to go into your uh, inventory and then press down and triangle. Yeah. And sometimes it was weird. It was not dropping the item that was highlighted. It would drop the item next to it. Yeah. Uh so another thing the game doesn't tell you, oh I had God. to figure out this through trial and error. The way to do that is to hold the triangle button and then press down while you're on the item. If you but, press, if you press them and it, it comes out, I yeah, see. Yeah, if, if you press them simultaneously, oh sometimes it will go, it will move over to the next item, and then you'll drop that one. Yeah. Oh, that's and, so annoying. And all the game tells you is press down and triangle to to drop an item, right? So I had to figure this out. After I dropped seven wrong items by accident. <laughs> and the problem with that is um, a lot of times when you drop items, they'll land on top of each other. So if you want to put them back in your inventory, then you can't always get the one you want because it's covered <laughs> by one you wanted to drop. And then you got to do the whole song and dance again. There, they, The interface <laughs> could have... Uh, <laughs> one thing that's funny is that they definitely made some interface polishes between the original and the remake. Yeah. They probably could have done a little more polishing on certain aspects of the interface. Maybe yeah. a little bit. At least made at least given us some clear language on certain things. Yeah, like man, I was getting so frustrated buying things from merchants, which again I didn't really buy all that much from merchants because you really don't need to. It's pretty easy. <laughs> uh, although I did discover halfway through the game that you could buy recipes from merchants. Oh no, I, yeah, I, yeah, I recognize that pretty. Early oh, okay, almost, that's cool. Thankfully, oh, that's good because I still always talk to them just to see what they had. Right. Because it, I also liked buying maps because they're fairly cheap and useful. <laughs> 
<laughs> some some of the worst voice acting in the game also was some of the merchants. Yeah, they're really bad. <laughs> some of them were a little racist. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. They they uh, lean into stereotype for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, any other miscellaneous thoughts on Odin Sphere, Daniel? Um, Odin Sphere is a slow burn. It takes a while to pick up and get good. You need to play through an entire character story before you sort of realize some of the value that the game has. But once I did put a lot of time in, I I did sort of get into some really satisfying loops. One thing I actually really enjoyed doing was like getting to start with a character from scratch, right? And they're kind of weak at the beginning and they don't have a lot of tools yet. And then in their last story, there are monsters that are just mowing through everything with their yeah. with their really cool special moves. It was fun to be able to do that with each character, and I actually didn't mind starting from scratch each time. But yeah, like in similar to Monster Hunter, there is sort of an investment before you get to see the value of the game, and that's that's not always great. That really backfired for you this time. It feels right. like yeah, yeah. It's interesting to be talking about this game um, directly after having our conversation about Monster Hunter because there yeah. are a lot of similarities. I mean, the games aren't similar at all. Right. But there are a lot of similarities um, to be had there. And it is interesting because um, I think they share two common complaints. Um, one is that they are slow burns. Mm-hmm. And two is that their loop is inherently repetitive. Yeah. And so personally, it's interesting in a therapeutic sense to think about why I enjoy the slow burn and repetitive loop of Monster Hunter, <laughs> but didn't enjoy the slow burn and repetitive loop of Odin Sphere. Right. And it's, it's just, it's, I mean, this is a part of the thing about video games as a medium is they, they, no matter what commonalities a video game shares with another video game, there are still going to be inherent differences that make it a different experience, which yeah. is, which is what's fun about the genre. But um, yeah, for me, it just, I never got hooked either through the gameplay or through the story. And so the slog just felt like a slog. Whereas Monster Hunter, even when it was frustrating and occasionally not fun, I could still see where it was going to be fun. Right. And it wasn't, and I knew what I had to do to get there. Yeah. In Odin Sphere, I don't see the game fundamentally changing or mm. the things that are frustrating me now not frustrating me in the future. Right. Or that are not engaging me now engaging me more in the future. And so there isn't the same incentive to go back. And mm. because game, I mean, combat in Monster Hunter is some of the most dynamic combat ever made in a video game. Right. That's not true of Odin Sphere and it's not trying to be that. That's not a, that's not an inherent um, complaint about the game. It's not trying to be ultimate dynamic combat but because it was um not engaging it just there wasn't anything bringing me back i mean what do you mean by dynamic combat in monster hunter yeah well in the fact that um there are extraordinarily different weapon styles and play styles Mm. each weapon feels fundamentally different from every other weapon right each weapon has different combos that you can use or not use yeah and you're reacting to monsters that are behaving and um are attacking you Differently depending on where they are in the environment, yeah, that's where the, they are in their life cycle, yeah, um, and where other monsters are too. That, yeah, those are all really good points, and I'd say Odin's here definitely doesn't do things to that extent. And again, it's not yeah. trying to. Yeah, yeah, but uh, one thing I do want to say actually is that uh, some of the later characters you play, some of their playstyles really do like change the way combat works completely. One thing I didn't mention about Mercedes, the fairy queen, is that she has a bow. She has a crossbow that she uses, and. <laughs> And it turns the game into a shooter. Like, it turns the game into a bullet hell shooter where you're providing the bullet hell. She, like, just fills the screen with a bunch of different kinds of bullets. And 
uh, she feels so much more different than Gwendolyn and Cornelius, who do sort of have some overlapping gameplay styles. Uh, I think that's frustrating that they that they wouldn't have included that earlier. Yeah, because we're comparing it to Monster Hunter because we just played Monster Hunter, and I don't think it's really fair yeah. to compare this game to Monster Hunter because right. they're extraordinarily different. Yeah, but in because we are. Yeah, if I'm getting bored with a weapon in Monster Hunter, I can immediately switch to a different one. Right. I have to play through an entire character's <laughs> art in Odin Sphere to get a new, and that's yeah. not so. It's not the same conversation to me. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's fair. I, I just did want to throw that out there. Well, that's but, great. That's yeah. great because I mean that sounds interesting, and I wish that that was a, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I I am getting the vibe that you're probably not going to play much more of this now that you're off the hook. Well, that's really interesting because I was thinking about this while we were talking earlier, and I and I wonder if removed from the pressure of having to play it for the podcast, hmm. if I will give it some more chances and hearing that Mercedes combat is, is significantly different. does make me want to at least try her arc, but yeah, I can't promise that I'll go back to it. You know? Um, yeah, that's, I, (laughs) I, I think that's fair. And I think, uh, in a lot of ways, you did give it the old college try, which <laughs> which is appreciated. I I, I saw the effort you put in. I, I think it was I think it was a good good effort. Thanks. <laughs> well, what what about you? Do you think you're going to finish it? I think I am. Like I'm really close to finishing it now. At this point, I'm near the end of the fifth character story, or like I'm halfway through the fifth character story. Uh, looking at the timeline, it looks like after I beat the fifth character story, it unlocks. Uh, a final like chapter where you play through with all the characters, or something like that. I don't actually know. I, all I see is that there's a big a big chunk at the end of the timeline that I haven't experienced yet. So I'm interested to see how that goes. I'm close enough to beating it that I want to be able to say that I've beaten this game. Yeah. Uh, this is probably super tangential, but the you remember the YouTube series Hey Ash, what you playing? Of course. Yeah. As I played, Epona, Epona. <laughs> as as I played through Odin Sphere, I kept remembering this one episode of Hey Ash, What You Playin', where Ash Ashley Birch decides to do surgery on herself because she's played Trauma Center before, and her brother goes, first of all, it's nothing like real surgery, and second of all, you didn't even beat Trauma Center. Why would you want to do this? And she goes, well, it's an Atlas game. Nobody beats Atlas games. And the brother goes, I beat Odin Sphere. And then like the, and then at the end of the episode, he just admits that he hasn't actually beaten Odin Sphere. So I, I you just like, want to have one up on him is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. I keep thinking about that. It's like, it'll be really funny if I actually beat Odin Sphere just like, to myself. That's for your Rocky montage. That's like the poster hanging on your wall that you just stare at as you do your, your Odin Sphere gameplay. <laughs> So yeah, I, I think I'll beat it, especially because I am having fun with it at this point, and some some of the political intrigue that the story does, some of the ways that the story interweaves all these character arcs, uh, is finally interesting to me, so I want to see that through. Great. So, final thoughts. Um, I think I would say my final thoughts are, uh, Sean, I love you. <laughs> um, Good I, final thought. I don't think Odin's Sphere is a bad game. Yeah. I just think it's not the right game for me. Yeah. I feel totally okay with that. You know, yeah. um, I got about as far as I think I will, but I, I might play a little bit more. Um, and I'll just go back to what I said earlier, which is if if you're someone who's considering playing this game, um, it, it really is more uh, to me of a side-scrolling brawler mm-hmm. uh, with fighting mechanics than it is an RPG. So just keep that in mind. 
Um, and if, and if that's a game that sounds of interest to you, I think that there is stuff to find enjoyment out of in this game. Um, but I, it just wasn't the right game for me. Uh, a little selfishly, I am kind of relieved that the first game on this podcast that you have a more negative experience than a positive experience with. I am sort of glad that I'm not the person that <laughs> that recommended the first stinker to you. That is a, that is a very selfish one. <laughs> yeah. I was like, like, I, I did, did it. it. I win. You're, you're also constantly apparently keeping score of what people's recommendations are and how they've gone over. In a way, I don't think I am. Well, that's, I mean, that's good to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, good, good but, pressure for me. I mean, the, the way it just boils down to for me is, like you know like when i when i recommend games to you i i put a lot of thought into the things that you enjoy whereas sean put no thought into <laughs> no it. no that's not what i meant it's just that I, I i really want the games i recommend to you to be winners a lot of the time you know i, I really want to see like how well i know you when i recommend this stuff to you so tune in next time when i recommend et to daniel <laughs> uh but what are your final thoughts on Odin Sphere? My final thoughts on Odin Sphere is that there's a lot about Odin Sphere that I love, and a lot about Odin Sphere that is that is either a cool concept with a wonky execution or just plain bad in the case of some narrative stuff. However, I think it does uh, enough interesting things that if you're into these niche experiences if you're into sort of that sort of brawler style gameplay and one where you can sort of give yourself a lot of special moves that, that make the combat like really different and flashy, depending on what you have equipped. If that sounds like a fun experience to you, definitely pick something like that up. If that being the core of the experience is something that's will make you kind of bored, then, uh, then yeah, this, <laughs> this is such a specific experience that if it's something you're not into, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to end it. Again, like we're both saying the same thing, that Odin Sphere is not a bad game, but it's not an inherently great game. It's got to be the right person playing this game to really get the full level of enjoyment out of it. Yeah, and I ended up being the right person. Um, but if you're not me, don't play Odin Sphere. <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. But yeah. So those are our thoughts on Odin Sphere Leaf Thracer. <laughs> or however the fuck you say that. If you have thoughts you'd like to share with us, please send those um, to us on Twitter at playthispodcast or um, feedback at playthispodcast.com and we will share that on the show. Yeah. now we're going to talk about the game i'm recommending to you for for the next podcast yeah what you got for me and i think it's really interesting that you actually kind of teed me up in a way i wasn't expecting to to talk about the game which is when you're recommending games to me you're primarily thinking about enjoyment and games that would be quote-unquote winners mm-hmm. and i'm recommending this game to you for a couple of reasons but enjoyment's not actually the top of the list okay so i'm recommending this game to you and the game is firewatch by campo santo the first game made by campo santo and I'm recommending it for a couple of reasons. Like I said, enjoyment's not really the top of the list. The major reasons I'm recommending it are, one, we both talked about how um, how good In the Valley of Gods looks. And mm-hmm. I feel like 
again, given your predilection for gaming, I think that you would enjoy playing this before you play in the Valley of God. So yeah. if I can help you along in that, <laughs> uh, even though they're obviously not sequels, they're not related. Right. Um, it, it does look like it's drawing off the aesthetic um, of Firewatch a lot. Yeah. And the other reason is I think um, podcast or not, I think you and I could have a really interesting conversation about the game that is firewatch yeah and i really want to have that conversation with you i've been wanting to have that conversation with you since the game came out so now i'm going to force you to have the conversation (laughs) with me and force people to listen to it um and that's really the major reason i i i don't think it's a bad game i do think it's a good game um it's not as good as it could be and i don't want to say too much and influence your opinion but i don't think that is going to influence your opinion i think it's an opinion most people have um so it's really interesting to hear you talk about that because again enjoyment not top of the line for me here what really i think matters is is the conversation we can have around this game and i'm really really looking forward to digging into that with you okay yeah i just start that like enjoyment is is a major factor but like i also think about like discussion and stuff like the reason i picked like undertale and persona 5 for you in the past is not because i thought you'd uh love them across the board but because you'd enjoy enough of it and also there's a lot of great discussion we could have about both of those games. Yeah. I think that ended up being true. Check I, out, I agree. Check out the Undertale and Persona 5 episodes <laughs> to play this. Uh, but uh, I will. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm really glad you recommended this to me. I, I actually have been very curious about Firewatch. More so curious ever since Val- In the Valley of the Gods got announced. Right. And that game looks dope as hell. The opportunity to play this for the podcast actually will not be a forced thing. I'm I'm interested to see how that goes and uh very interested to see the narrative things that that game tries out because I've heard that it's very inventive in that way sometimes. Yeah. And it's not a super long experience either. So um you know I think that that helps too. It's it's a pretty short game all things considered. Nice. Um so but yeah, definitely looking forward to having that conversation with you. Uh, tune in next time to hear us talk about Firewatch by Campo Santo. Um, as always, thanks for tuning in. If you have any feedback you'd like to share with us or any thoughts you'd like to share, uh, once again, we are on Twitter at Play This Podcast, and we, uh, you can reach us on email at feedback at playthispodcast.com. Yeah. I'd like to thank Sean, not only for recommending Odin's Fear <laughs> to us, but also for um, the music that we use in our podcast. And I'd like to thank Cassie Rilanicki for making that good art that good good art that, that good, you good see art. on every episode it's so good uh thank you again for listening um if you do listen uh on any service that allows you to uh you know rate or leave comments we would love for you to do that it definitely helps um expand the reach of the show so we super appreciate you doing that and uh keep an eye peeled for um daniel's new podcast he's doing behind my back uh, <laughs> more information on that to come soon i'm sure Uh, But for now, it's dangerous to game alone. Play this! I wish you could see Daniel's eyes when he does that. It's like (laughs) staring into Satan's asshole. (laughs) Spy! Game over.